On behalf of Copeland Financial Ministries, I would like to welcome you to the Advanced Biblically-Based Estate Planning Workshop Series. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom is a chartered professional accountant and the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries. Now, here's Tom teaching what the Bible says on estate planning. I'd like to welcome you to session six of the Advanced Biblically Based Estate Planning Workshop Series. In this session, I'm going to be talking about discerning God's will in complex situations. For some people with respect to their estate plan or even almost uh, many important financial decisions, um, the situations can be complicated and it may not be exactly clear what God wants you to do. Well, I got some good news for you. God wants us to discern His will and He's willing to direct us. Here's the key biblical principle. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul said, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God wants us to understand what His specific will is. As Christians, we need to discern God's specific will in managing the money that He's entrusted to us, including your last act of stewardship, which is your estate plan, that obviously includes your will. Um, this is very important, and God wants us to, uh, to, to discern what that is. The question often people ask me, does God have a specific financial and estate plan for you and your spouse if you're married? I believe the answer is yes. Scripture is clear that God wants, us to, wants to direct us according to His will. In Psalms 32.8, God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, I love these, these scriptures where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, declares the Lord. God's promise, as we pray and we seek Him with all our heart, that He's, he's going to hear us, and He's going to direct us. And in Isaiah 48, 17, God gives us this awesome promise of His guidance. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way you should go. So clearly, God's specific will, it's the best option for us, and God's willing to direct us with respect to any important financial decision, and that includes your estate plan, a big part of which is um, putting together your wills. So here's a summary. I'm going to give you um, 20 biblical guidelines that should be used in discerning God's will and making any important financial decision in general, and including your estate plan. And here's the 20. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an overview. This is a high-level overview. This is dealt in more detail in my workshop series called Discerning God's Will in Managing Money. But here's a quick uh, overview of 20 biblical principles. And as I go through this, I would encourage you to just prayerfully ask God to speak to your heart as to which ones you should focus in on, because you can't focus in on all of them at once, of course. So here they are. The first, acknowledge that you're a steward of God's resources. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord, Al Lord Almighty. In other words, it's God's money, it's not your money, and it's not your kid's money either. It's the Lord's money. So you need to discern and acknowledge that, uh, that you're a steward of God's resources. To understand that you're accountable to God. Romans 14.12 says, So then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. The third thing, pray and ask God for His wisdom, James 1.5, and His specific direction. Uh, very often as you develop and implement your estate plan, estate planning can sometimes be very complicated. Number four, regularly study the scriptures that apply to estate planning and stewardship in general. Uh, God's word is powerful and it's truth. Number five, confess and repent of any known sin. Sin can act as a roadblock 
in terms of your relationship with the Lord. And as it says in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that often God won't hear us if there's major sin in our lives. So if there's any sin, uh, follow 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So confess the sins and repent from them. And then God, you can restore your relationship with the Lord and you can, you can discern what he wants you to do. Number six, be still before the Lord, pray and listen to God. Um, Psalms, in, in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. You need, to, you need to take that time to spend with the Lord and allow God to speak to your heart, speak to your mind, speak through his word. God can direct us in so many ways. Number seven, obtain biblical counsel from a Christian who understands God's word on finances and estate planning. It's very biblical to get, uh, to get some, uh, some counsel. Proverbs 15:22 says, a wise man seeks many counselors. Number eight, develop and consistently maintain a close personal relationship with the Lord. It's through your relationship with God that you can discern exactly what God wants you to do because often there's several options within the biblical guidelines. Number nine, ask God to provide you with his direction through circumstances. Remember in Judges 6, through the fleece, God directed uh, Gideon, and God can direct you through circumstances. He can open and close doors, so ask him to direct you, although circumstances should not be the only thing you look at, you need to be directed by the Lord, I'd say through at least three or four out of these, these 20 guidelines as a minimum before you make a decision. And number 10, be careful of external pressure. Be sure to please God rather than men. In other words, don't give in to what your kids want and ignore what God wants you to do with the money that the Lord's entrusted to you. All of us are responsible to God to use His money, His way, and the parable of the talents is a, is a good example of that, that we're one day we're going to stand before the Lord and uh, give an account. And you, you want to construct your will and manage money according to God's principles and God's specific will so that you hear those words that you want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will entrust you with many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's in Matthew 25. Um, so you want to hear those words. Number 11, focus your heart and mind on God and in, in the process of planning your estate. Uh, there will be rewards in heaven for developing and implementing God's estate plan for you. Number 12, as you pray and read God's word, allow God to speak to you th to your heart and your mind. God can speak to us through his word and through his spirit, that's for sure. And number 13, allow God to speak to you through his Holy Spirit and direct you, especially with respect to any difficult decisions that you're facing. Um, John 16, 13 says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears. And, and he's going to direct you, is what the Scripture is saying. God will direct you as you pray. Remember, often the communication can be in the spiritual realm and not just the physical realm. God can speak to you audibly. He hasn't spoken to me audibly, but he certainly spoke to my heart and my mind. He spoke through his word. Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, light from my path. So allow God to speak to you through his Holy Spirit and his word. God can, number 14, God can direct us by way of visions, dreams, or audibly. Remember, God did speak to, uh, um, uh, you know, um, a number of people through visions or dreams. He spoke to Joseph in a dream, telling him to take Mary as his, his wife. Um, he spoke to Paul and told him to go and preach to the Macedonians. So God can speak to us through visions and dreams. Although, given that we have God's Word today, I find more often than not, He speaks to us through His Word. As you read Scripture, you can read a hundred Scriptures, and God can highlight two or three, and that can be the Spirit of God taking His Word and speaking to you. Number 15, this is really important. In Luke 22, 42, Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. In other words, be sure to do God's will and not your own will. 
And not, not your kids either. Do what or anybody else wants you to do. When you, you um, develop your estate plan and incorporate it into your will, be sure to do what God wants you to do. That's, that's really important. Number 16, develop a spending plan or budget to determine how much you and your spouse, if you're married, need to live on for the rest of your lives. Uh, that's admonished in, in the parable of the tower in Luke chapter 14 that we're to, we're to plan ahead. So determine how much you need. And if you have more than enough, then consider doing some additional giving out of your capital while you're living. We talked about this in more detail and how to calculate uh, how much you need for retirement. We calculated in more detail in the previous session. Number 17, look for consistent direction from more than one source. Uh, God can speak to you through His Word. He can speak to you through biblical counsel, through prayer. He can speak to you through His Spirit. Uh, so out of these 20 guidelines, look for God's direction through at least three or four guidelines before you make a major financial decision. By the way, all these principles apply in respect of any important decision, not just estate planning. Number 18, be patient and wait for God's timing. Psalms 37.7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Um, but don't procrastinate and wait until you have a perfect estate plan. If you do that, you'll probably never put your will together. Um, make, it, make it so that what you have, you put down in, in paper is better than what you had before. And to the best of um, your knowledge and belief, it's what God wants you to do. Number 19, pay off all your debts. Significant debt left in an estate can cause major problems. Um, consider Second uh, Kings chapter 4 where the stress that the widow was under because her husband had left uh, debts after he died. Uh, now, God did rescue her through Elijah, but leaving debts uh, to your kids is not biblical. Uh, the Proverbs, I think it's 13.22, says a good man or woman leaves an, um, an, an inheritance to his children and his children's children. The idea is that you're to leave assets, not debts. Debts can cause so many problems for your executor and your heirs after you die. And number 20, before making any major or complex decision, ensure that you sense God's peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So make sure you have God's peace before you make the decision. Um, if you don't have God's peace, you may not be doing God's will. But again, don't procrastinate. Um, you have to make a decision. So often people... Um, Think of a recent case where a fellow died and the last time he did his will was like 30 years ago. He had, he had talked to me several times over the last 30 years about updating his will. He never did it and then boom, he died. And so there was quite a lot of complex situation with for his heirs after he died and um, he, just, he just didn't get around to it. So um, I'd like to now deal with a, a, a complex um, case study. This, uh, by the way, the names of any of the case studies I have, the names have just been selected at random. So if, uh, if your name is John and you're married to a woman named Denise, we're not talking about you. These names have just been selected at random. So here's the case study. John and Denise are married. John is 75 years of age and his wife, Denise, is 70 years of age. John understands and manages money God's way. However, unfortunately, his wife, Denise, does not. She's a fine Christian woman, but she has never learned God's way of managing money. So as a result, she tends to buy things she doesn't need on credit and accumulate significant debts. John has had to pay off Denise's credit cards and other debts many times. Denise acknowledges that she's not a good money manager and that finances are not her thing. Fortunately, John is a high income earner so he can afford to bail out his wife and they still have a good surplus for retirement and their eventual estate. John and Denise have two adult children who both manage money according to biblical financial principles. John is starting to develop an estate plan for Denise and himself. 
John realizes there's an extreme high probability that he will go to be with the Lord before Denise. Remember, John's 75, his wife's 70, and women tend to live longer than men, so um, there's a high probability he's going to go to be with the Lord before she does. So here's a question. In light of the above, what biblically-based estate planning advice would you give to John and indirectly to Denise? And if you can, provide a reference to Scripture where you can. So think about that for a few minutes. What biblically-based estate planning advice, assuming you're their financial advisor, what estate planning advice would you give to them? Um, and make it biblical and provide a reference to Scripture if you can. Here's what I had. John is faced with a very complicated situation. Because his wife's a poor money manager, if he does what most people do, transfers all of his assets to his wife and give her full discretion, it's highly probable she'll spend too much money and very possibly run out of money before she dies, resulting in a shortage of funds to look after her needs and leave a lot of debt after she dies. Um, that's, by the way, that's what most people do, and that's, that's so John realizes that, but he doesn't want to do what most people do. John loves and cares for Denise very much. Nevertheless, John needs to go through the 20 suggestions recommended above and discern exactly what God wants him to do. There's several options within the biblical guidelines. One suggested solution is for John to create a trust pursuant to his will and instruct the executor, which would be someone other than Denise, of course, to purchase a life annuity for Denise. With a life annuity, the lump sum from the estate goes to her benefit and then she gets monthly payments for the rest of her life. That way she can't cannot uh, spend the capital. John needs to exercise a form of tough love here to protect Denise from her bad financial habits to ensure there's sufficient funds to meet her needs for the rest of her life. This is, this is so important. 1 Timothy 5.8 talks about providing for the needs of your own family and if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. So John wants to follow that biblical principle. Although an annuity is an option, in light of her age and the fact that she may have some significant health care costs later in life, Another option is for John to have the lawyer create a spousal trust under the will which provides more flexibility and it also provides some tax benefits. A spousal trust allows the tax-free rollover of John's assets to the trust. Now I'm talking here about Canadian tax law as of, uh, by the way, as of October 2019 when I'm dictating this. And in order to qualify as a minimum, Denise must be the sole income beneficiary during her lifetime. However, the trustees would have discretion with respect to utilizing the income or capital of the trust for Denise's benefit. So the trust gives more flexibility. They can access the capital as well as the income to meet her needs. So let's say she has to go into a um, nursing home later on in life, they can access the capital. Assuming a discretionary trust is created pursuant to John's will, the trustees will be able to exercise their judgment in distributing the funds from the trust for the payment of Denise's personal and healthcare expenses. In other words, John would utilize the trust to look after his wife's needs after John has died. This is biblical. So here's the second question. Who do you think should be the trustees of the trust for Denise? Who do you think should be the trustees of the trust? Should it just be Denise? What do you think? Here's my suggested solution. Clearly John needs to pray, ask God for his wisdom and direction, obtain biblical counsel, and follow other guidelines as outlined uh, previously in this, this uh, session and eventually discern God's specific will regarding the choice of trustees? I'd say, first of all, the trustees need to have a track record of managing money God's way and should be committed Christians to ensure that the appropriate allocation after Denise dies goes to the Lord's work and also just that the uh, whatever outlined in the world is actually executed. Since uh, John and Denise's two adult, adult kids have demonstrated biblical money management, they would be the logical choice. Just so Denise doesn't feel left out, 
she would be included as well, but however, the majority should, should uh, decide. So I'm suggesting three trustees of the trust, Denise and the two kids. And so if Denise starts um, spending money irresponsibly, the two kids who have a track record of managing money God's way can, can prevent her from doing that and uh, just, just prevent her from hurting herself, uh, really. Um, making sure that we want to make sure there's enough to look after her and that, that could be another 20 years. So the next question is this, what should John include in his will and presumably Denise's will after John and Denise have both died? What, what should they do after they've both died? What do you think there? Clearly John's two children uh, should be significant beneficiaries of John and, wife's estate, John and his wife's estate after they've died. Proverbs 13.22 says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. So it's biblical to leave a, an inheritance, which means you're leaving assets and not liabilities. In addition, they need to provide a significant allocation to the Lord's work. I'd say please see the session, the previous session on, on giving, where 10% is likely the minimum. However, given that their kids are good money managers and they're likely in good financial shape, John and Denise may prayerfully consider the one other child concept. And let me explain what that is. John and Denise have two kids. They could assume they have three kids and uh, assume that the third child is the Lord's work. In other words, allocate one-third of the estate to God's work. There'll be great rewards in heaven for them doing that. The odds are their kids probably don't need the money, and, um, and, and it's just uh, it, it's, it's a really good thing to do. It's something to at least consider. 10% is certainly the guideline in Scripture, it's, but it's not a legalism. And I encourage people to consider going beyond the 10%, especially if um, there's more assets than what are necessary uh, for the kids. Now, if he had, had a disabled child, it would be different, but we're, we're assuming here that his two adult kids are good money managers, and they both uh, have, um, have good jobs. Here's the next question. Do you think the choice of an executor is important? What characteristics? I'm talking in general here, not so much for John and Denise. Fortunately, they do have two kids that manage money God's way, so they're natural executors, but sometimes parents can look around at their kids and say, hey, none of my kids really manage money God's way. Um, so what characteristics would you look, look for an executor? What would you look for? Just think about that. Here's what I would say. Without question, the choice of an executor is extremely important as they will be responsible for dealing with your estate assets after you die. You're going to lose total control after you die. An executor needs to be, in my view, a committed Christian who has a track record of managing money God's way. Their integrity, their integrity must be absolutely unquestionable to ensure that they allocate the assets according to the will that you put together. And the reason is, except for other beneficiaries taking action, there's no policing of how an estate gets distributed, um, none what, at all. For example, I think of a case where um, dad had died and then when the mom died, she had allocated um, most of it to her. She had just had one son, but she had three grandkids and she had allocated a portion to the three grandkids. Unfortunately, the son and his wife um, had uh, separated and divorced. And when after the mom died, uh, the son never allocated anything to the grandkids, even though they were his kids. Um, and the, his argument was, well, I've already given lots of money to my ex-wife, and she can look after the grandkids. And so, again, his, his integrity was not impeccable, and there, there's, there's no policing of, of, of the will. And obviously, the grandkids didn't know they were beneficiaries. The ex-wife didn't know she was a beneficiary. Sorry, that her kids were a beneficiary. No one else knew. So um, there's no actual policing of, of, of the will. So the integrity of uh, the executor that you choose is so, so important to make sure that they're going to they're execute what you want to be done. 
Now here's another question. What about your parents' estate planning? Are there future problems that you will inherit? Think about that. Most, most kids don't think about this. Adult, I'm talking adult kids, obviously. But often there are major, major problems. Uh, have your parents developed a biblically-based estate plan? Do they know how to do that? Over the next 15 to 20 years, we have an aging population in this country and many places around the world. There's going to be a huge transfer of wealth. And many kids will be in a situation where they're either the executor of their parents' estate or they're the beneficiary of their parents' estate. And so, um, unfortunately, many parents don't take the time to develop and implement a biblically-based estate plan and include it in their will. Most, most don't. Most people don't. Even most Christians don't. Um, so if nothing's done, there's often going to be significant problems in settling the estate um, after mom and dad die, including disputes amongst family members. That's really common. I'd say that happens 70 to 80% of the time. Excessive tax liabilities is often a problem. Today with easy credit, so many people have so much debt that uh, in some cases when the last spouse dies, they're not passing assets on, they're passing liabilities that are in excess of the assets. So it creates a problem. And there's just a huge amount of work for the executor if there isn't a proper estate plan. So assuming that your parents have not developed a biblically-based estate plan, what, what should you do? What do you think uh, you should do? Here's, here's some, uh, think about that for a few minutes, and here's some suggestions that I have. First of all, if they're Christians, encourage them to learn God's Word as it relates to estate planning. Maybe teach it to them yourself. Obviously, you've got to learn it first because you won't be able to teach it, but encourage them to learn what God's Word says about estate planning. Um, if they're not Christians, explain to them some of the practical benefits of following biblical principles, and I'll give you some of those practical benefits in a few minutes. And of course, handle this with great gentleness and respect. You don't want your parents to think that you're after their money, but rather you want to help them be a good steward of God's resources um, and minimize disputes after they, they have died. So in order to convince your parents to do some biblically-based estate planning, think of that. What, what, what would you talk to them about? Here's some suggestions I have to convince your parents to do some biblically-based estate planning. First of all, significant taxes can be saved with an advanced estate tax planning. That usually gets their attention. The risk of disputes amongst their children and other heirs can be substantially reduced if there's a proper estate plan put in place and incorporated into the will. That can be substantially reduced, those risks, and most, almost all parents I know of are interested in that. Many legal and other complexities can be avoided with the preparation and signing of proper wills. If there isn't a proper will, it's just, it can just leave a mess for your, 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 your heirs. Uh, the work of the executor can be substantially reduced and simplified with a proper estate plan, including a proper will prepared by a qualified lawyer and, and properly executed. And if they're Christians, remind them that their wills are what I call their last act of stewardship. It's the final... It's the document that's going to determine the final, their final stewardship decision, where their assets are going to go after they die. And so it's so important from a biblical perspective and also from an eternal perspective because there, there's going to be rewards or lack of rewards in heaven as to what you do with respect to estate planning. Uh, I can say that based on the authority of God's Word. There will be a rewards or the lack of rewards depending on what you do. So here's another question some of you may be facing with your, your parents. What do you do in respect of a second marriage when there's kids from the first uh, marriage? Um, so here's a real life, here's a, a, a common real life case study. And again, the names are selected at random. Jeff and Valerie are both Christians. Their spouses died several years ago. 
They both have two adult kids and three grandkids. So this is uh, a second marriage uh, in each case, and they both have kids from their previous marriage. Jeff and Valerie have both recovered emotionally from the death of their first spouse, and they sense that the Lord is leading them to get married, and there's nothing wrong with that biblically. From an estate planning perspective, is there any advice that you would give them? So think about that. Uh, what would, what would you, um, advice would you give them from a biblically-based estate planning perspective? Here's my suggested solution. This is a real tough one. It requires a lot of prayer, including following the 20 steps outlined earlier in this session in discerning God's will. So this couple, they, they both need to go through those 20 guidelines that I provided earlier and uh, determine what God wants them to do. I'd say this, if Jeff and Valerie do what most people do, they obtain the standard secular will. That is, if he dies, everything goes to her. If she dies, everything goes to him. There's likely going to be tremendous conflict and possible legal action between the remaining family members after Jeff and Valerie have died. Here's the reason. Let's suppose that Jeff dies first and all of his assets are transferred to Valerie. And let's suppose Valerie, in her will, decides to give all her assets to her kids and her grandkids. That means Jeff and his uh, first wife uh, their, their kids and their grandkids get nothing and almost for sure you're guaranteed to having disputes and probably some legal action as well. And unfortunately that's what a lot of couples do. They don't do anything about it. So clearly um, it, it's the, the children of Jeff and his first wife, if Jeff died first, they're going to feel cheated and they're going to be complaining and there's going to be lots of problems. And even though by this time Jeff will be with the Lord, he will not have fulfilled Proverbs 13, 22 which says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. He will not have fulfilled that uh, stewardship responsibility because his assets that he and his first wife accumulated are going to go to someone else's kids. So it's, it's, it's something to, to think about. And uh, what are some, some suggested solutions? What do you think would be some solutions here? I, here's a few. Jeff and Valerie could have individual wills that indicate that Jeff's assets go to his kids after he dies and Valerie's assets go to her kids after she dies. Or Jeff and Valerie could allocate a portion of their assets to each other and then the balance to their respective kids. So that's something they can do it pursuant to their will. Uh, now, in order to do that legally, uh, it may also be necessary to have what, what's called a prenuptial agreement uh, to agree on how the assets will be divided upon um, in, in, uh, when they, they die. And assuming that both Jeff and Valerie are over 65 years of age, they could transfer their individual assets into two alter ego trusts. I don't want to get too complicated here. But if they have significant assets, that could work out very effectively. Um, and, uh, but that's, I described that in more detail in a previous session. So that's, that's another option to consider is the alter ego trust. That can be done tax effectively uh, here in Canada. And it can uh, be very effective in achieving um, an individual's desires as to what they want to be done with their assets after, after they die. So... Um, but there can be some significant legal fees to do those, so the assets have to be pretty significant to make that worthwhile. So, bottom line, before making any conclusion, Jeff and Valerie need to discern God's specific will for them and then get some legal advice to ensure that their plan will work properly. So they need to discern what God wants them to do, then go and see the lawyers. Here's some memory verses I think you will help. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul said, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And in Isaiah 48, 17, God gives us this awesome promise. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way you should go. May the good Lord give you his wisdom and direction in developing and implementing a biblically-based estate plan. God bless you. 
To learn more, check out copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance.